You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 136, covering Parallels and The Pegasus with Kevin Lynch. Hi, friends. Hi, Flonk. Hoy. Flonk's Hello. Here. If you're hearing this, that means we had some technical issues and uh, our original hilarious uh, intro segment has been lost. But fear not. Well into you who missed the hilarity. Yes, we made jokes about... Um, they were really funny jokes about everything. Yes, about the Armist shirt. That's it. The Armist shirt yes. that we now have that you can buy at our store. That's about it. Um, but we are here to talk about two episodes... Uh, of Star Trek, which oddly enough is what we do every week. I don't know why I bothered even saying really? that. Really? Yeah, I know. It's, huh. it's strange that way. Oddly enough, this what week we're talking to. We're talking about Stargate. Yes, Stargate SG two. Ooh. Uh, we are here to discuss the episodes Parallels and the Pegasus. And yes, Flunk it's is P here. Week. Yes, P. It's the P week. That's terrible. Don't ever. Don't, I'm trying to roll with what you say. And you said it's pee week. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's been, pee week. Hey, what the? F- don't don't do that. <laughs> Lead me down the wrong path. Al, Al. Yes. It's still pee week. <sighs> Why don't we just instead cut to this segment of us talking about these episodes? Pee week's big adventure. Uh, Flunk, you have managed to show up for the only week. Yes, I. Um, in, in I was going to say the uh, I I've actually been kind of behind on my I haven't been following along with you guys like uh-huh. I usually do my, um, my entertainment queue is like really huge right now so you know the show I've seen a hundred times is kind of going to the wayside yeah, and um I gotta say season seven has been fantastic what the, these these two episodes are just just the best oh, uh, all of I've season seven that you've seen yeah all of season seven that I've oh, seen yeah, has just sure. been amazing well and next week. Um, no, no, no. The, two weeks from now, you, uh, you should watch because then there's lower decks, and then yeah, that's pretty much all you I need. Do like decks. All you need to see, really. Yeah, then you're good until uh, all good things. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Your brother's going to be here with us next week, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Your brother's in here with us, Flunk. Yes. No, he's maybe maybe the lowest point in the entire series is why I say it that way. Oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Because certainly the lowest point in Gates McFadden's acting career. Oh well, Force that, of Nature yeah. still looms pretty large. Oh, it's gonna be worse than Force of Nature because Force of Nature took place on the Enterprise with Enterprise characters. It didn't just go off and try to be okay. Well, let's talk about that next week. Yeah. Instead, this week let's talk about the only week we got where we got two solid episodes in a row, mm-hmm. and Flonk got to do one of them, and that one is it, Parallels. It, yes. Tell us all about Parallelograms. Please do. I think I will. All right, so Worf is off doing some Klingon shit again and is returning to the ship with the coveted Most Best Award. He returns to the ship and uncovers a sinister plot to throw him a birthday party. But at the party, themes things seem a little off. Little things like Troy being at a party without chocolate cake and Data's gift moving about. <laughs> things get stranger and more inconsistent, and eventually we find ourselves in a world where Troy and Worf are married, Captain Picard is... Uh, I lost my place. Shit. All right. Things get a little stranger and more inconsistent. Eventually, we find ourselves in a world where Troy and Worf are married, Worf's trophy has been changed to most least, Captain Picard is dead, and Wesley Crusher is manning the security console. 
this makes perfect sense because if there's two things I know about Wesley Crusher, it's that he's got an old shuttlecraft he likes to work on, and that action is his reward. That's why he killed that guy. Eventually, Data figures out uh, that through a combination of spatial anomalies and visor magic, Worf has been tr- jumping through alternate realities, which explains that one scene where the Enterprise is covered in lens flares. <laughs> lens flares! Get it? <laughs> Eventually, using a plot device stolen from the animated series, Worf drives his shuttle backwards through the anomaly, and that fixes everything. Then Worf, after after finding himself without without a surprise party, decides that he needs a little more of that sweet Troy lovin' and arranges an impromptu date. Alexander presumably is still locked in the closet while he'll be no trouble at all. (laughs) There's a lot of Alexander being mentioned in this episode without him actually being there. Yes. It's very, very strange. It's like, hey, Al- hey, remember Alexander? And Worf's just like, um, yes, the what son else? that I have always had. As long as there are no follow-up questions, I absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. The problem is that he eventually just became 100% belt marks. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't Jeez. beat him. Jeez. That much. <laughs> anyway, he'll, he'll, he'll be showing up in a, in a fine episode where he shows up from the future and... Uh, God. What a great thing for an episode to be about. Yeah. Well, you know what? For all the crap we give a particular writer, Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you sing some praises here that we uh, that we wouldn't normally be singing here with? Oh yeah. Day. So first things first. Congratulations, Brandon Braga. You wrote a script that, despite being chock full of all that dumb weirdness that you are so incredibly fond of, is extremely well written and has some absolutely wonderful character moments. I love the stuff in this with Worf and Troy, and while the sudden reality trip flips aren't as creepy as I can tell you intended, I placed ninth. That's your shocking cliffhanger, huh? <laughs> really? <laughs> they were always interesting, jarring, and often way more subtle than I would normally expect from you. Bravo! Yeah, this was a good Braga episode. We all yeah. uh, we all noticed that, that it, it's not like he broke from form and wrote something different than he normally writes. This is totally a Braga yeah. episode. Yeah, this, yeah, this is, is all 100- of- it's 100% Brennan Bra- Braga. Like, you can you There's can a stupid see. mystery. Yep. And then a For bunch a of dumb reasons. There's, there's lots of, uh, everything's all cuckoo crazy pants. That's one of his his big tropes. Yep. There's, uh, the problem is fixed, and, and they come up with a lot of techno babble. Yep. There's a spatial anomaly, and at the end of the episode, nobody remembers every, anything anyways. But, yep. but here it works. Yeah, be, well, and primarily, I think, because it's character-based. Yeah, it totally is. It, this, it's a great Wharf episode. It is. And yeah. you realize, we've been pointing this out because we knew it was coming, the the gradual closeness of Wharf and Troy. How, when we all saw this the first time, it was like, where the fuck did that come from? But watching them in order now, we kind of see it. Yeah, totally. Like, and they've been setting this up, like, since... Well, it was Ethics, wasn't it? Which was, it was season ethics, three or right? four. Yeah. Yeah. Which is when he broke his spine and suddenly had a backup spine. And uh, he asked Troy to take care of Alexander if he died. Mm-hmm. Which and was, Troy ran away. Oh, as well she should have. <laughs> what the hell, dude? We work together. I don't want to take your child. Oh, God. What am I going to do with this? It'll be weird. But yeah, it's it's gradually been happening as they spend more time together. And we, it's cool that jumping around all these universes, you, you realize, oh, every other wharf was smart enough to ask her out. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah, dude, get in there. She's cute. Yeah. And he did. Yep. Good for him. <laughs> now he's going to rip her in half, and yeah. when the first time they have sex. There's like there's a great bit where he's asking Data how long you know how long has Counselor Troy and I been married? How long were we dating? Uh, when when did we start? And she's like, well, if you want me to find out when you first coupled, I could probably find that out. I 
I was really, I really wanted to see Data investigate that mystery. Go get a Sherlock Holmes hat. Bring Jordy along. That would be difficult. Wow. Jordy's just sitting there going, no, this is weird. Stop. Oh, right. Jordy in that universe was, was dead and naked. Yeah, oh, dead yeah, naked with too. a doily on his dick. Yep. Good old doily dick Jordy. <laughs> dick doily Jordy was a uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive figure in 1994. <laughs> it's worth a lot of money now, dick doily Jordy. Yeah. Only if you still have the dick doily, though. It was well, like, yeah, sure. yeah, it was like the splinter action figure. Everyone lost the dick doily. Right. You Did- don't want to know how the doily clipped on. <laughs> yeah, keeping the visor on was a little easier. Yes. Flunk, tell me a good thing. All right, so this is also like a really cool sci-fi episode. Like, yeah, it it, it's got a really nice uh, concept. They do a little bit. They play around with with just some nice, fun science fiction. And my favorite uh, thing that they came up with was the laser confetti at Worf's birthday party. <laughs> yep. Which I be watching it the second time. I was looking for it. It's normal confetti, but it goes pew. They've got these little like like little poppers where you pull the string and the confetti pops out. Except yep. there's a little flashlight and it goes pew pew pew. Yep. That's I like it. the idea of them going to a replicator and going, computer, uh, f- confetti phaser. <laughs> Give so me like, a phaser, but make it shoot confetti. Well, I, I would imagine clowns in the 24th century have stuff like that. I would imagine they have a transporter buffer inside their little bag so they can just keep on pulling uh, all the flowers and the scarves and everything. <laughs> Shuttlecraft that they can just load themselves into infinitely. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's less impressive now. Well, yes. Um, Especially now that there are literally people who are people running around who are who there is two of. This is a good point, or you know, a million of, as there were with with the wharfs. Yep. In, in the shuttle, two hundred eighty thousand. That is one of my favorite lines in this episode when all the enterprises start materializing and uh, Wesley gets. <laughs> we are receiving two hundred eighty-five thousand hails, all of whom are <laughs> accusing me of killing a guy. <laughs> I didn't kill a guy. <laughs> I'm that was that was, yeah, that was I went through Nova Squadron. We did this big crazy maneuver. It was the coolest thing ever. Why does everybody think I killed a guy? Yeah. Look, I'm I'm Wesley who wears yellow. I'm fine. Yellow Wesley is a good person. Yes, red Wesley. <laughs> that's the one you gotta look out for. Be good to Yellow Wesley. <laughs> Don't hurt Yellow Wesley. Yellow Wesley and Dick Doily Jordy are my favorite uh, morning zoo <laughs> DJ team. And don't forget Blue Eyes Data. Yeah, that uh, that was something you guys pointed out in your notes. I knew something was off about him in one of the universes, and I couldn't quite place it. And I was looking through, and oh, yeah, he does have blue eyes, doesn't he? That was one of the thi- like that was one of the the more subtle ones that I like. Yeah, it, it's just George, Data is in the scene. Yep, and his <clears throat> his back's to us. Yep, but I mean it's just a regular scene, and then we sort of face him, and it's like, what is wrong with him? Well, and I never got past that. I just I never spotted. It. I knew something was weird. But for whatever reason, I just I didn't pick up on it. And it's, well, then I got the really co- the really weird thing was like, is it have his eyes always been blue? That doesn't seem right. No, he made an album called Old Yellow Eyes is back. Oh God, he did too. Yep. Well, now we know what we're singing at the next uh, Emerald City Con. <laughs> no, because it was just uh, it was just a bunch of like uh, uh, big band standards, as I recall. He just did a bunch of like Sinatra songs. Oh well, then we'll just do it dressed as Star Trek characters. Yeah, that'll be fine. Flunk, you can bring a garbage bag and come as Armus. <laughs> Maybe I will, Al. Maybe I will. <laughs> what a wonderful world, you guys. I'm actually thinking, uh, because... 
wearing a garbage bag and wearing your Armist t-shirt. Yes. Well, at, at Dragon Con, they, they do a Klingon karaoke, and I, I have been trying to think of what the best Armist song would be. I'm going with either Wonderful World or Bad. <laughs> oh, man, those you know are both really good. Yeah, that would, that would be bad. You know it. You could do Klingon karaoke with um, 99 Love Blooms. Bob already did the, uh, Ooh, the translation part of that. That's true. You really impressed them with that. And uh, at Worst Party, they sang Klingon for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. Yep. Because uh, yep. apparently in the 24th century, Happy Birthday is still under copyright. <laughs> they will drag that copyright to their deaths. Look, those two old ladies that own Happy Birthday are still alive in the 24th century. They will fight Klingons with pain sticks. Yep. For using Happy Birthday in something. I think, honestly, like, uh, watching the new Arrested Development episodes on Netflix, that was the thing I was most impressed with, is that they actually got Happy Birthday. Yeah. In a scene. Like, whoa, they were serious about this. They must have thrown yep. some money here. And then I realized how stupid that is. Like, this traditional that song that we all know and sing, mm-hmm. that you have to pay millions of dollars to use it on a TV show. That just And that when people don't use it on a TV show, it's super distracting. Yep. Well, that's why Futurama just made a joke out of it. Yep. What day is today? <laughs> and you smell like one, two. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have they don't have the rights to that. Nope. Um so yeah, you, you mentioned Flunk that this is a, an interesting sci fi episode. That that's generally my good thing. Oddly enough, Next Gen hasn't really done anything with alternate realities. We had yesterday's Enterprise, but that's where history was changed. Mm. We haven't really done any like sort of stepping to side universes kind of thing like like mirror mirror sort of stuff. I think this is the first time and only time that they did that, which I think, you know, works well, really well. Well, there's a... Yeah. There, yeah. I, um... I just... I, I like it. I, it's a it's a, it's a a classic sci-fi staple, and yep. I'm just... I'm really surprised. Like time travel, the show hasn't done time travel that much either, we've pointed out. Mm. They've done, like, time anomalies and crap, but they really... I think Time's Arrow, isn't that still the only one where they've actually gone back into history? I think so, yeah. Yes, where they rewrote history. Yes. Or it's all the mystery. Right. I I remember I watched this one when it first came out back in, I guess, 93? Yeah, this would have been late 93. The next one came out in 94. This was my first exposure to the idea of alternate realities. Really? And DC Comics before then? uh, Not really. I mean, you know, just some Batman stuff. Uh, This would have been post-crisis anyway. At that point, it just hadn't come up. No, right and, after Crisis, I think they were deliberately not doing that for a while. Yeah. No, that was the, the whole point of Crisis. No more alternate realities. Right. And I watched this episode, and I guess it was a combination of this and reading What If comics, mm. where I totally, where I completely grasped the idea of infinite alternate realities and bought it just right away. So you would have been 10, and this, this made total sense Actually, to you. Actually, I would have been 9. Okay. But this made total sense to you. Yep. Huh. Not a pro- It's just like, oh yeah, of course, alternate realities. Everything you do is different everywhere else. Huh. Makes perfect sense. Interesting. Yep. I was to- right That's why you're such a big Sliding Doors fan now. <laughs> it's true. And also Sliders. Yes. Don't forget that wonderful show. Sliders. I bet there's somebody <laughs> out there who is a Sliders fan who's getting angry at us right now. For, for- I bet somewhere out there there's a Sliders Review Podcast. Probably. Been- somewhere out there there's a Sliders fan. <laughs> So, and all these There's an alternate reuniverse. I was about to say, somewhere out there is all these alternate universes. It's not yeah, it's mid- John Reese Davies. <laughs> oh, he's just waiting for the call for Indiana Jones Five, and it's just never going to happen. Please bring me back, Stephen. <laughs> I, this isn't even my real voice. I just talk like this now. 
I'm Santa Claus, apparently. <laughs> no, I like I like that they have the alternate universe thing. I again, yep. I'm really surprised that we we so rarely dipped into the time travel thing or the alternate reality thing. Like the show doesn't do the the standard oh, sci-fi cliches. What's up? Yeah, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah, I know. Will they do alternate realities a lot in Voyager? Uh, yes. Okay. Is that that in time travel? Huh. Well, well, I know they did time travel a lot. Which, to me, doesn't make a lick of sense if you're, you know, five million years from home. Yep. To go back in time, you're still five million years from home, you're just yeah. back in time now. It's like that episode of Red Dwarf. Yep. It's like, well, we're back in the 1400s. But it's still this three million helpful. years from Earth. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, they made, they, they made it character-centric, which made it work. It wasn't just your, your standard sci-fi trope. It was, let's make this about Worf. Let's make this you know, Worf's different choices and what things would be like and, you know, but it was also sort of, I think they brought a lot of continuity in it, which I really liked. Yeah, they did. Well, they, I mean, I feel like that's important if you're going to, if you're going to show how this universe is different, these universes are different than our, our one, then we need to have. Yeah, you need points of reference where things could Yeah, some changed. context. Yeah. And so a lot of it had to do with the Borg. Like we barely escaped the Borg. Some guys didn't. No. And some guys did, but at a horrible Some guys cost. really didn't. Well, yeah. and that's as good a time as any to play your quote. Well, the thing about the my quote is that, like you're saying, there's a lot of good um, character stuff going on here. There's a lot mm-hmm. of good comedy with uh, with Worf and Troy in particular. Yep. And so it was really hard to, to pick one, so I went with this. We won't go back. You don't know what it's like in our universe. The Federation's gone. The Borg is everywhere. We're one of the last ships left, please. You've got to help us. I'm sorry, there's no choice. If this works, everything will return to... No, we won't go back! Well, I mean, that was the obvious... That is the title of the episode, after all. Yes. Yeah. Although, we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Apparently, the Borg is everywhere. No, I like ours better. I agree. It doesn't make any the episode, sense. The episode is just going to have to change. Yeah. Uh, what about your bad thing, Flung? My bad thing is, um, it, well, Wesley showed up. That was that was actually not my bad thing, but no, it was, no, it was nice to cool. see him. And it was subtle. Uh, and it was I like too how they didn't make a big dead. deal about it. No, yeah, they didn't make a big deal about it. Like he was just yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but it would have been nice to see Doctor Plasky again too. But not oh, totally. We've seen enough for her. They just they just completely like it never happened. Mm-hmm. They never even mentioned her by name like ever. No, I mean this would be a great this episode is a great opportunity to bring back pretty much anyone. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a scene Brian where they cool. go. There's a scene where they go to the sick bay and Bever's not there, and it's Doctor Ogawa, which is cool. Which I but liked. it would have been nice. that I think is where they could have put Plasky in, and it would have made perfect sense story wise. Yeah, I also thought it would be cool. There's a point in the episode where um, the ship is attacked by the incredibly threatening space empire, the Bajorans. I like that. Dun dun dun. Who apparently are going to bang pots at them? Yeah, you know they're set up as this like ancient civilization that was in space like way before we were banging like... pots. Okay. I thought it would have been cool if they'd gotten contacted by like Kira or something. Now, see, I think that would have been too much. I think that no. would have been like whenever whenever shows do that, whenever it's like, and every person is a person we know. I think yeah. that just goes a little too far. Mm, nah, that wouldn't have bothered me. I thought I would have liked that. Or Ro, we haven't seen her in a while. No, she's joining the Maquis, Matt. Wow. Viva Season 7. <laughs> she getting a face tattoo? <laughs> Probably. Because her people. Yep. <laughs> because my people. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. Uh, was that Kira or Ro? 
Eh, both. Huh, fair. It, it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> Listen, they're different characters, okay? One of them is called Roe. <laughs> One of them is in love with a tub of goo, all right? Yes. Hey, spoilers, man. All right, Matt, what about your bad thing? What about my bad thing? All right. That, so all of that being said, all that praise for Braga being said, Jordy's mm-hmm. visor? Really? <laughs> Did you spend more than six minutes deciding on the thing that starts Worf's excellent adventure through reality? Why not Data's robotness? Bever's coat? Why not jump? Why not jump reality? Because every time Riker jangles his keys in his pocket. Well, and it's like it, 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 that's the most Braga thing about this episode yep. is that there there is utterly no. There, like, there's no thought put whatsoever put into why it happens, and also into resolving it. No. Worf goes through the thing backwards. Reverse the polarity. Yep. That's how you. That's how you fix it. No, and the thing is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before in better episodes. I don't really care. But he goes to such trouble, and again, we have probably five minutes of trying to explain it to us. Yes. And that's where it really doesn't work for me. Is like, I'm all for like mirror mirror. There was an electrical storm during the transporter. That's all they say. Yep. There's five seconds of dialogue and done. We're there. We're yep. in an evil universe. You're, you're in. It doesn't matter. And then matter. you start getting into the uh, anomaly had Verdron particles yeah. and Jordy's yeah. visor uses a subspace resonance of yeah, 0.42. Don't need to and just who cares? get there. Just get For- the thing set up and get moving. Yeah. And you don't have to spend precious screen time talking about how it happened. Yeah. That's, we that's... could be having more fun with Worf peering around things. <laughs> <laughs> that was a strong contender for cover art. Was Worf when uh, when when he realizes that uh, Deanna's not leaving his quarters and she comes and sits on his bed. Mm-hmm. And he sort of peers, and and I was saying I, there should have been a noise accompanying him looking around the corner. <laughs> because that's exactly <laughs> the movie. Do just pop up underneath him, like... right? <laughs> and and Marina Sirtis does this great thing back. Where she sort of mimics his body yep. language and does the same move. And she goes, Mew. Right. <laughs> and then she tiptoes over the replicator and goes, Do, 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 And then they do the mirror sequence where they hold the hand up. And, you know. I want to see that so badly now. <laughs> yep. Well. I want to see that almost as badly as I want to see Worf riding a Yoshi for some reason. I <laughs> <laughs> remember how that came up. I don't either. I don't think it matters. But attention, talented people who listen to the show, please. Yes. That'll be our next shirt. No, don't let that be your next. We got better. We got better ideas for shirts than that one. Let's not. Let's not blow it on that. Let that be your next shirt. <laughs> My bad thing. Okay, I know it moves the story along, but Beverly becomes aware of the fact that Worf is having these blackouts, or you know, as far as they know, he gets dizzy and then he's confused about what happened. Mm-hmm. Like he he has weird gaps in his memory. Don't send him back to duty. No. Don't just say, oh, you're fine. Go go operate the weapons of this highly advanced ship. You're fine. At the very least, he should have the rest of the day off. Yep. Well, you know, fucking take a sick day. Maybe maybe he used up all his vacation time because he does, as we pointed out, go away constantly. Maybe he just doesn't have any sick time left. Yeah, man. It's really starting to bug me. I can't believe it happened again. I just... <laughs> it is funny, but, you know, they all go and do other things. I, I, feel, like, I feel like that's the reason... There was a thing in Insurrection where he just appears and no one really says why. Well, yeah, they get tired of having to write a reason every time. Yeah, I, I, I like just like that. Oh, Mr. Worf, you're back from vacation. No, I was on Deep Space Nine. Really? We <laughs> thought you were on vacation for the last five years. I thought, didn't you have to go to Kronos and, like, 
meditate about college or something? No, I, I was transferred. Did you just say yeah. Collis? Really? Mm-hmm. Whoever. Yeah, you know, the statue of it's Collis. Collis, father. It's Collis, father, right. But there's a there's a bit where he, he moves to another reality. He doesn't know how to use the uh, defense console, and uh, the Cardassians shoot the ship, mm-hmm. and Jordy dies. Effectively, Jordy's death is on Beverly's hands. Yep. It is her fault for sending Worf back to work when she knows that he's out of it. It's not his fault at all. It is it is absolutely nope. Bever's fault. Or, depending on what reality you're in, Nurse Ogawa. Or, you know, Dr. Ogawa. No, Dr. Ogawa would have would have not sent him back to work. Yeah, she probably has better quarantine policies as well. So she has some quarantine policies. <laughs> or policies, as I just said. <laughs> all right. Any, any further it's business? It's policies, father. It's policies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to point out... Um, I, I also thought it was weird. Like, so what happens if Worf jumps to a reality that has a Geordi that can see? Well, no or visor. No Geordies at all. Yep. Or there'll be no Geordies at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess he just stays there. That's where he lives now. Yep. Sorry, Worf. Apparently so. I hope you were from that Enterprise that was being Borged. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere, Matt. You don't understand. No, they is everywhere. Oh, right. They is everywhere. <laughs> I'm scared of the board, Jordy. <laughs> oh, I hate her. Yes, I hate you. <laughs> I know, honey, I know. All right, anything else? Um, Worf was so proud of that trophy. Yeah, he oh was. Oh, my God, right? Well, when he got first he was just place. Like, I was awarded most best grandest Batleth man. Yep. It's like when the episode and then just about over, it's like the first thing he checks. Did I still win? Yeah. Am I married to Council Troy? Ah, who cares? Do I still have my trophy? Pew. Oh. Look. And apparently at Klingon ceremonies, they give out awards for ninth place. Yeah. <laughs> who gives out? I, I I feel like the actual competition took like maybe two hours. Yeah. The awards ceremony took four days. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> how many Klingons were there and how many, you know, awards they give out. If there's only like 20 guys and he got one for ninth place, that's this. I wasn't very good, butthead. Yeah. Oh, boy, participant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else? Uh, That's it. Yep. Very well. Matt, it's time to talk about the Pegasus. All right, I will talk about the Pegasus. Do it. I dare you. Very well. I will. It's going to happen. Okay. All right. It's the most wonderful time of the year as the crew of the Enterprise celebrates Captain Picard Day. There are archaeologists jingle-belling as everyone tells you to be of good cheer. Alas, the trip to the Captain Picard Day tree lot planet is cancelled when the Enterprise is ordered to go on a secret mission. The crew picks up Admiral Pressman, a Captain Jellicoe impersonator, and Bill's former captain. He knew Riker pre-beard and, more importantly, pre-overwhelming list of nicknames. Pressman has orders to find the remains of his and Bill's old ship, the Pegasus, but he's super vague about it. He and Riker meet on a park bench to have a hushed conversation about whether the device is ready and if it will work this time. And Pressman orders Riker not to tell Picard about anything. But how will I impress him, wails Riker. Meanwhile, the Enterprise continues to search for the Pegasus and encounters a Romulan vessel. Commander Romulan guy tries to pull the old, hey, we're not doing anything, but what are you doing? But Picard throws it right back in his face because he is having absolutely none of it today. Thank you oh so very goddamn much. And the two ships go back to searching on opposite ends of the sector. Eventually, the Enterprise finds the Pegasus inside a really fucking big asteroid where everyone is shocked to learn that it's not just cloaked, but phased. (laughs) 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Picard has been getting suspicious about all the incredibly obvious whispering that Bill and Preston have been doing, and he finally digs up the logs about the destruction of the Pegasus. Turns out Bill was involved in, de- in defending the ship from a mutiny, which everyone is pretty impressed by. Be- yeah, excuse me. Which everyone is pretty impressed by. Beca- oh, I see what I did here. Which everyone is pretty impressed by because in Gene's visionary future, we've all beyond the need for mutinies. He calls Bill on. He calls Bill on it, but Bill can't tell him because Pressman's an, ad, an admiral. His two father figures are brought into conflict, and Bill is almost torn apart, physically and mentally. Riker and, Pre- Riker and Pressman beam over to the Pegasus, and Pressman finds a sinister cylinder that he's not willing to discuss with anyone, and keeps it hidden under his pillow. Riker protests, and Pressman gives the. Riker protests, and Pressman gives him some shit about duty or something, and then the Romulans find the Enterprise and seal them up in the as- asteroid. Whoops. Commander Romulan Guy f- sends them a smug message about how he'll happily help the Enterprise just as soon as Picard's willing to give him to be more forthright about what they're doing over there. Picard tells him he'll call him back. Finally, Riker breaks and explains that the Pegasus was developing a new cloaking device that would also have the ability to phase through solid matter, like any common Geordie. Picard is pissed because having a cloaking device is totally illegal and it could easily start a war with the Romulans and it's a whole big to-do. But anyways, then they use it to escape from the asteroid. And then Picard has Pressman and Riker arrested, but it all works out and in a touching bridge scene – or excuse me, in a touching brig scene, Jesus. Picard finally tells Riker that he's proud of him. That out of the way, Riker resolves to start looking for his own fucking ship as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think Sinister Cylinder would have been a good alternate title for this episode. Yes. We really need to start doing alternate titles again. Yeah. Coming back. This episode, I remember it being pretty good. Like, I remember saying, oh, good. We got two good episodes this week. I know Parallels is pretty good, and I remember the Pegasus is all right. It is great. It's a really yeah. great episode. It's a, it's, there's a lot happening, too, as well, you can tell by my, by my hour-long is, summary. Yeah. This is one of those ones where, like, I realized I wasn't make, taking any notes because I was just, just sitting there watching it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and you got these two written by the two main writers at this point. You got the last one was written by Brandon Braga and this one written mm-hmm. by Ronald Moore. Yes. And they both very much feel like those guys. Like, this is a quintessential Ron Moore episode, yeah. just like the other one was a quintessential Braga episode. Like if you wanted to sum up both of those, both of their writing styles, these two episodes would be perfect. Yeah, super military drama where there's a bit of shadiness going on, but even the the so-called evil guy still has kind of good motives, and it, yeah, you know, like there's there's a lot of tension going on, but it's all realistic tension, and mm-hmm. you know, it's and, and apparently filling in some holes in um uh, uh yeah track. some yeah some continuity issues yeah. Which was very nice. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that until you pointed them out, Flonk. But uh, yeah, yeah. There's the um, the reason that we haven't had a cloaking device this entire time when yes. when our two biggest enemies do. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gene's thing was always well. That's just because we don't sneak around, which is uh, yeah. you know very Gene. Right. Uh-huh. Put it nicely. Well, plus and, there was uh, an episode of the original series where they snuck around to steal a cloaking device. And then, uh, yeah, so then this is where they explain, no, it's because there's a treaty that we signed so that we don't have a full-out war. We're right. just going to not develop any cloaking devices. Yeah, it, really, it feels like the Romulans really got the, uh, the, the better end of that stick, you know, between them being able to, cloak, to use cloaking devices all they want and mm-hmm. their iron grip on the neutral zone where no one is supposed to be going. Yep. It's just like, all right, well, you guys won that I think round, there's I guess. probably a lot of Federation ships in the neutral zone, too. We just don't see that because no, you know, we're following anyone, the Enterprise around. Anytime anyone puts their toe into the neutral zone, like four cloaked Romulan warbirds show up to be all like, what you doing in the neutral zone? Yep. Yeah, but I think it's, it's the same way. It's just we don't see them as much because they're cloaked. 
Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I just uh, I, I I'm with Matt on this one. It seems like they, you know, it's supposed to be a neutral zone, but the the Romulans act like it's theirs. It it just it feels like the Federation really doesn't want to poke at that hornet's nest. Yeah. And and they don't. And we no. deal with a, we we deal with this really well in uh, DS9. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they, I mean, it's late in the war when they get involved, but also with the cloaking thing. Yes. Because when they have the Defiant, they have to f- sign a whole special exception to the treaty. Like you're allowed to use one once. Yeah, and they even ship. for the first first couple times they had a Romulan officer on the ship too. Right. Oh, I remember that was cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and nice bit of continuity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's it, it's it's nice to see Ron Moore, you know, doing that thing he does, like not only writing a great sort of military story, but also weaving stuff together and yeah. making it feel more like this this one big universe instead of just you know a thing where different stuff happens every week. Yep. Which is very cool. It is very cool. Uh, Flunk, good thing. Um, there are so many good speeches in this. Yeah, Shit, you yeah got, there are. You got Picard and Riker, Picard and the Romulan, Riker and Pressman, Picard and Pressman. This is talkie trek at its best. Let's, yep. let's talk about Picard and the Romulan for a minute. Yes. There's, there's this great, and, and in both episodes, there's a, there's a Cardassian captain in the previous episode that is so Cardassian. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, what are you doing at this? Yeah, and the way he's sitting in his chair too, he's just yeah. kind of leaned back. The <laughs> most comfortable yeah. chair ever. Yeah, but you know he can pounce at any moment too. That's like yes. the whole Cardassian, like sort of slimy villain. Yeah. But I'll kill you, you know, that kind of thing. But then the, this this Romulan guy, there there is just some classic, you know, poker face stuff happening. Yep. Where they're just like, oh, well. We oh, we're just... here doing some uh, geological surveys. Really? So are we. That's nice. Do you want to compare notes? Yeah, I don't think no, our notes. That's all right. But I appreciate the offer, friend. Thanks, buddy. No, that is that is a fantastic. They've done this scene before, mm. between specifically with Romulans, but I think this is the best that it's been written and performed. Absolutely. Yeah. It just it feels like like at this point, Picard is just like I don't have time to. Like I don't want. I've done this a million times. I really don't want to do this again. Yeah, we're also whatevering. Yeah, but he does it so like. And I was wondering because they usually shoot the view screen scenes. I think separately. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no need to film them together, obviously. But it's if it feels like there's some chemistry between this dude and Patrick Stewart, and I'm, if if they shot them separately, that's even extra impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like the two actors were playing off each other, and if they never even saw each other, then that's you know that's extra cool. Yeah. Now that was that was a great scene, and then yeah, all the different stuff between Picard and Riker and and, and Pressman. There's some great stuff. Any any scene in particular jump out to you, Flonk, or just? Uh, um, no, all of them. All of them. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the Riker Picard one is really good. Where like, Riker just, has to tell him, but he can't tell him. Yeah, he like he can't tell him, and Picard is really angry. Yeah, and then yeah, and at the end, actually, too, when Picard finds out what's going on, and he just flips the fuck out. It, it's yes. Great. Yep. No, Do not lie to Captain Picard. He does not like that. No, and it's interesting because the last time you were here, Flunk, we did an episode about young Riker be like this and old Riker be like this. Mm, right. And now you're, you know, we basically yeah, have another could. one. Apparently that's my thing. Which is about, you know, you should have been here for Best of Both Worlds because that was another one about how Riker's changed and how he's, you know, become a different guy in his older age. Yeah. They, they like that oh. about that character. They yep. like show, using him as the guy to show, you know, young idealism turning into mature adulthood. Well, the thing is, it's nice because you can do that kind of stuff with him because he's so normal. Yeah. That's like, a good point. Yeah. most of the rest of the crew has very specific 
weird is shit blind or an alien or a robot or something. Yes. Right. So yeah, you, you do this with the normal guy. Yeah. Right. You just yeah. call the blind guy not normal. That's not cool. <laughs> he's it's, no. He it's it's his eye. He, no. dig, dig, dig up, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's he, he wears funny glasses. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that cause people to jump to different realities. So obviously he's weird. I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense the way you put right? it. Yeah. Uh, what about your best thing, Flunk? Um, all right. So Data goes, Captain, theoretically it is possible, about fucking 15 times. <laughs> yes, he does. Catchphrase. It really Jesus. is catchphrase this week. He doesn't do anything in this episode except that. Yep. Yep. And I notice you have a note here that just says Enterprise. Oh, yeah. Um, this episode is from the uh, infamous Enterprise finale mm. where um, – Riker can't figure out how to get out of this uh, sticky situation he's in here. So he goes and watches an episode of Enterprise to figure out what to do. What Which, a dumb thing. And when you watch this episode, you're looking for, like, well, when could that have happened? Because it's it's such a natural progression. Why when did he suddenly age 15 years and go, on, <laughs> and go watch holiday. a movie? And then de-age 15 years and then go back and do his normal job again. Yeah. Huh. Well... We'll, we'll hold that against Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. I actually have short. a lot of thoughts about that, but you, you'll get to it. Yeah, we will. Uh, that sounds We're like marking a, it down right now. That sounds like a threat. You'll get to I've, that. I've been trying out a new character called uh, The Guy Who Likes Enterprise, and uh, <laughs> as such, I can't really talk about this episode. No, we'll, we will bring you back on the very last episode of Post-Atomic Horror. Oh, no, that won't be that. we got to do one supplemental after. we got a palate cleanser. Mm. That cannot be the final episode of this podcast. I'll, I'll say this: the last shot is good. the The very final is scene. it a shot of the of the Enterprise D? Yes, it feels like it would have to be. Yeah, but I it's thought you inter- liked the stupid pointy Enterprise E for some it's, stupid reason. I do like the Enterprise uh, D, but no, it's it's a shot of the Enterprise D going through the asteroid field, and then you get Picard doing the space, the Final Frontier, mm-hmm. and then it switches to the original Enterprise, and Shatner does you know mm-hmm. seek out new life, new civilizations. And then uh, Bacula ends it, uh, boldly going where no one has gone before. <sighs> Fucking Bacula. It's hey, Matt, nice. why don't you tell me your good thing about this episode? Is that going to be a palate cleanser, too? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So, Pressman is delightfully scummy. Yeah, he's played by Terry O'Quinn, the guy who played um, uh, shit Locke on Lost. I know you didn't see Lost, but Flunk and I are yeah. big fans. So. so, like, most of the episode, he's a standard adversarial admiral. We've seen that a billion times on Star Trek. They show up every week. But there's a moment when he's t- when he's telling Bill that, yeah, Bill's going to have to lie to Picard, and he knows that Bill will do it because Pressman has asked him to, because he's loyal. Mm-hmm. He takes this loyalty that Bill feels to his former captain and throws it in the face of his current captain, and he utterly abuses it, and it's so... Just it re- it was really it really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> he and and it's like I was saying it's like, it's like he knows how to use Riker. Yep. No, and, and he spends most of the episode doing it. And the the last thing you want to do is turn Riker against Picard in any way. Yeah, that's just that's not cool, man. That's that's not gonna that's not gonna end well for you. It's like I mentioned it in my summary. It's two dad two dads fighting over him. Right. No one There's wins in that. Own- there's a great scene in uh, I think it's in Picard's quarters with uh, Picard and Pressman where you like you really get a sense of the two different just captaining styles. Yeah, totally. Where uh, 
Picard want, picked Riker because he wanted someone that's going to successfully solve the mission, uh, regardless of how it's going to look on his record, and Pressman values loyalty and duty and honor and all that. Mm. That felt like it could have been a uh, Jellico scene. Not that it, not, not that that bothers me. I thought the same thing actually. There were, but I mean, that's that is the other kind of command style, really. I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's others yeah. still, but the main ones are Picards and you know the the more disciplinary and follow your orders guy. Yeah. The cards and the guy we don't like this week. Right. <laughs> but I, the, the other thing that I was saying was that he, like in all good sort of Ron Moore-style military drama scripts, has a valid point of view. He's not evil. Yeah. He's not even doing it for self-interest. He's doing it because he thinks he's helping the Federation because he's helping Starfleet. And that makes him a much better villain. Because yeah, he's right that this is a major tactical disadvantage that we have. Yep. Yeah. And should the Romulans bullshit. decide to break the treat to you know start fighting us, yeah. like we're we're fucked. So mm-hmm. let's figure out how we can uh, get an advantage. Right. And while it's wrong, and while we're supposed to, you know, like yeah, you can say, well, yeah, Gene was a little naive and whatever, and you know, of course, people are going to be, you know, like uh, the little scummy and a little, you know, morally corrupt here and there. Really, we do want our guys to be valiant and 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 you know honorable at the end of the day. Yes. We do want them yeah. to be heroic, and we want them to do the right thing. So, ultimately, this guy is wrong in our eyes. Mm-hmm. But we still see where he's coming from. Yeah. And I like that. I like that in a villain. I like that in, a, in, an, in an antagonist. Yeah, so yeah, much better old, than, uh, like, you know, scheming in the corner or whatever. Right. Well, I'm gonna... I've tied the Enterprise to these railroad tracks. <laughs> How does that even... What? <laughs> well, we flew away... Well, we flew away from those railroad we tracks. We flew up. Curses! <laughs> Damn it, I forgot about up. I'm actually gonna gonna jump to my good thing on this. This felt like an original series episode to me, and in in the best possible way. Mm. In in that way that I really love the original series. You had a lot of tension, a lot of that sort of Cold War who's gonna blink first tension with the Romulans. Yeah, like you had in episodes like Balance of Terror or something like that. Um, and Pressman felt very the I think he was a Commodore. It, they were usually Decker. Commodores back then. Yeah, no, Commodore Decker. Decker's an admiral. No, 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 I don't know. But I'm saying he felt like the Commodore from uh, the Doomsday Machine. Mm. Only a 90s TV version of him where he wasn't crazy cuckoo over the top. You know, ah, we got to get the Pegasus, oh! <laughs> Instead, he's, you know, sort of down to earth. I don't think I remember that episode quite like you do. Well, that's how they, that's how they acted in the 60s. We just made allowances for it. <laughs> ah! Jim, you gotta get was raised by a cup of coffee. Yep. That was Commod- that's... Commodore Homsar. <laughs> I but you know what I'm talking about. They were all crazy over the top because that's how people acted in the sixties and, mm-hmm. and early nineties it was different, and this guy suddenly <laughs> There was a war on. We didn't have time for subtlety. Right. Which is why Shatner did so well. Yep. But yeah, he's, it, it felt very much like sort of an, a modernization of uh, those kinds of episodes that we really liked of the original series, like The Doomsday mm. Machine, like uh, Balance of Terror, stuff like that. And and I loved it because of that. It, it kind of called back to the kind of episodes I wish the show would do more of. Mm. So there was that. Matt, bad thing. Um, <clears throat> Admiral Margaret <laughs> is... An incredibly terrible actor. She has two scenes with Picard, and she is incredibly wooden in both of them. The only thing that saves her is, like, the first one is saved by being absolutely adorable. Well, that's my quote, quote, right? So let's go ahead. Put that in here. Captain Picard Day? 
Oh, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's for the children. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a role model. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Starfleet out. Ah, good times. But also, like, every other line that comes out of her is just, well, Captain Picard. That's, what? That just never bothered me. I, 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 it, it also says, it also speaks to the fact there's not a whole lot of bad stuff happening. No, there really yeah. was not. I spent a long time trying to find one. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those episodes. And it's, it's that feast or famine thing of season seven. Yep. Where it's like, this is almost a perfect Star Trek episode. And now next week, Beverly is going to have sex with a ghost. Yep. <laughs> Come on. You know, when you put it that way, it sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've been saying fucks this whole time. If I say have sex, what if it ha- Bever makes love to a ghost? I was going to say, yeah, how does that, how does that grab you? Better or worse? Better one or grab two? Her. <laughs> Goes right through her. Um, my bad thing. Uh, my bad thing is basically the episode uh, Force of Nature. Because this is the first time we get that bullshit you are authorized to exceed warp speed limits. Because Force of Nature, for all its bullshit about, oh, this is important, this is changing the status quo, no, it's not. No. Nope. All you ever gotta do is throw one line of dialogue in and that episode never happened, and that's exactly yep. what they do here. What Just the fuck? Just some lip service so be, in case you remember that episode from two weeks ago, although I don't know why you would. <sighs> and then off we go on the adventure we're supposed to get to. Yeah. I just, I don't, it, it bugs me. It bugs mm-hmm. me that they tried to make this huge deal out of everything's changing and nothing changed. Yeah. Like fucking. It's not on. important. Nope. Not important at all. Well, that's all I have. What about you guys? Um, I love Riker's Captain Picard impression right at the beginning of the episode. It was this <laughs> yes. close to being my quote. Yeah. That whole scene would have been my quote, really. That was a great scene. The whole... But I mean, you can't. It was like, it was also like three minutes long. Yeah, I know. The whole episode would have been my quote, really. Yeah. Between that and all the speeches that Flunk talked about. Yeah. It um LeVar Burton directed this one. Yep. And um there's and so like whenever the actors direct it, there's always something a little different. Well his camera is like, like, very interesting. Um uh yeah, what he would did uh it in the uh when they were in the ship in the what was it? The Pegasus, because mm-hmm. um, it was it was phased halfway through the asteroid, and when they beam in there, uh, he's using a steady cam, so everything's kind of shaky. But he's also like turned it, so it's got that that Batman villain angle, right? Mm-hmm. And it just really just adds to the tension and just kind of the general unease of being on on a ship that's half inside of a rock. Yeah, that was very cool and very disturbing. And there was <laughs> the thing I noticed was you know you do cuts back and forth between two people talking that are effectively meant to be their POV. And Riker's standing and Pressman is sitting. And so the Riker's POV shots of um, Pressman are just, like, down a well. Yep. Like, you're standing at Riker height at, like, nine feet tall, looking down at Pressman, who's like a speck on the horizon, like, Hey, look at me down here! Whee! Yeah. I just, just I, see, like, a giant knee coming up yeah. over top of the... Uh... <laughs> but that's, you know, that's... um. It makes sense. Usually, when you do those cuts, you're, you're sort of at, at, a, at a normal level, though. You don't actually do it from the from the actor's height. That just made I don't know. It called itself out to me. It was kind of funny. All right. Anything else? Um, they confirm it later in that episode, of Enterprise. I was talking about, but um, this is uh, where they start start to lay the groundwork for Section Thirty One. Hmm. Yeah, they talk about Starfleet intelligence a lot. 
Yeah, and yeah, like a secret branch of Starfleet that's working on this illegal project. Right. Yep. Oh, and apparently Riker was stationed on the hood. Yeah. That's... Yeah, we discovered that a week or two ago. Yep. I'm glad he got out. Yeah. He must have really pissed somebody off, but yeah, he made it off. Do you think he had sex with Captain Kirk? Uh, yes. All right. I don't know why I even had to think about that. Of course he did. <laughs> that clears that up. You bring those two forces together, what do you think? Yeah, right. I feel like that... It's not even a gay thing, then. It's just they, I feel they like have that, have. that sex that turns into a fight. Well, yeah, it's going to be both. Obviously. It's going to be sex to the... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. That's it. Very well. Well, Flunk, as always, thank you. Uh, we will. We shall not see your ilk again until the movies, I believe, correct? Um, maybe. And maybe not even then, depending on yeah. whether we get our panel or not. We might be, uh, might not see you until DS9. We shall well. see. Unless you want to, uh, unless you want to fly out to Portland, then you can do the panel with us. <laughs> Come on. You Come know, to you scenic want. Portland. Yes. The spirit it's of the 90s just... lives on. Trees. Scenic Portland, city on the grow. Oh, we gotta go, folks. We gotta grow, folks. Uh, say it. Say your thing. See you. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.